My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a crisp autumn morning here in the capital and I'm delighted to say that my guest on today's show is Ahmad Juma, the Operations Director of Juma Care Homes Limited. Um, Ahmad, welcome to the programme and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi Scott, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure, Ahmad. Uh, now, you're a care provider that runs two specialist care homes in London for adults with uh, learning disabilities, um, of course. And you're somebody who has well over 18 years of experience within care as well. So you've been in the sector for quite a long time. But I can imagine that you've probably never dealt with something quite as severe as the challenge of the last 18 months with the COVID-19 situation. So um, how has that sort of affected you operationally, would you say? Well, I think that it was, uh, like you said, never faced anything like this before. And I remember, you know, right at the beginning, um, you know, wh- when when news was just coming in and uh, there was news that we were two weeks behind what was happening in Italy. So it was a very scary time uh, remembering the news and, and being very concerned because obviously dealing with vulnerable adults and, and uh, you know, concern for their safety, for their health. And, you know, for everyone else in the care home as well, and the staff members, and, you know, just wondering how it was all going to go uh, in terms of uh, how it would pan out. It, it didn't look very good from the onset. I can imagine it was quite difficult from sort of a morale perspective, wasn't it? Because you've not just got to try and maintain the good spirits of the staff that you're working with and make sure that, you know, you're reassuring them that they can come to work safely, but also you've got to think of the people that you care for as well. And um, they might not necessarily know what's going on. They might not understand all of the sort of restrictions that are surrounding them. So I can imagine that was quite a challenge for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, with regard to that, I think with the, with the staff members as well, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that we have a very uh, good and strong team and, and we're quite tight knit as a family. So, you know, we communicate. Uh, openly about how we're feeling um, and I really encourage that because you know in difficult times everyone's dealing with stress in their own way and I felt it was really important that we didn't ignore that you know that we actually uh, paid attention to how people were feeling and um, and also to yeah, as because initially when the pandemic came in obviously it was all all hands on deck um, with respect to making sure that you know staffing numbers were covered and um as things progressed, like uh, like holidays were were reduced to ensure that we had enough staffing in case people fell ill. But then, as soon as possible, uh, I always encouraged um, my staff members to take um, their holidays so they could have a break. It was I just thought you know it's really important that people actually have the time off so they can actually get a bit of space uh, between what's happening and and um, kind of get their sense of mental health back and. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely challenging uh, to, to to manage all of that. For me personally, it was kind of like having to stay calm and and steady in the storm, and um, sort of manage expectations for all the staff members and and um, everyone on site. 
Yeah, mental health certainly has been amplified by the uh, the pandemic, hasn't it? And um, I was speaking to somebody on this show not long ago, actually, and they said that when it came to sort of leadership and mental health, um, it has to sort of start with the self as well. You can't go sort of looking after everybody else's well-being as a business leader, but then neglect your own because you're there to lead by example. And if you know, you're know you struggling, you're finding it lonely at the top and you're burning out for everybody to see, that ultimately isn't going to sort of pan out too well so you need to also have that opportunity to step back as and when you need to even in a leadership role you're not infallible are you absolutely yeah yeah i mean i've like for me personally it's um i've invested a lot of uh, time um and and um uh, sort of i suppose money as well into developing my mental health uh, and, and making sure that i have a better a better awareness of what can affect me and um and how it can affect me and and also i found over the years like the more the more vulnerable we can be um with ourselves and others the more resilient we become because we discover that actually we're not alone and and i think that's the key factor i think especially as a man i mean it's, it's slightly off topic but i feel men don't really share their emotions amongst themselves mm. but we're all go- we're all going through them and we all feel feel things and if we don't express it it kind of just bottles up and gets worse now, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is important to remember that we're not alone and we can sort of speak to each other. We can sort of seek solace in others and indeed for business mm-hmm. leaders as well. I mean, we've seen really the benefits of uh, networking over the uh, the last couple of years because business um, leaders, directors, they've been going out, they've been talking to each other, confiding in each other with their issues. Mm-hmm. Some have even been sharing intellectual property to try and help each other get through the situation. So we've seen that communication on sort of an unprecedented scale, really, haven't we? Mm. Yeah, I think it is important. Like, I think that 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 as well uh, was a factor that really helped us in terms of um, keeping going and keeping strong. Was network and um, you know being open to support from others. It was very quick as well. I think within the uh, Walking Forest um, Council, where uh, where I, um, I I work inside of, and and uh, they had a lot of structures where they uh, created WhatsApp groups and things for for managers to share information and resources because there was a lot of change happening and it was difficult for any one person to keep on top of everything in addition to the work that we normally do. Now we talked about the value of communication during this time of course. Um, I have to ask about this just because a lot was made of it particularly in the care sector in the early weeks of the pandemic Uh, when it came to sort of support and guidance from you know the authorities above the government sort of various associations within the care industry do you think that the communication back then was sort of sufficient enough and you were well enough supported or was it very much that you were sort of left to fend for yourselves a lot at times? No I think it was we were definitely very well supported um, within the care sector there were there were there were multiple streams of uh, communication and information coming through. Uh, I mean, in in, in terms of um, dealing with um, advice around uh, managing uh, cases or managing uh, possible uh, positive, um, uh, how do you say, like positive tests from the PCR test and stuff like, we 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 actually had a direct line to Public Health England. So you know, it didn't matter what size care home or you know what size operation you were doing uh, if there was any sort of situation and you need to support um, there, there was a, a whole line of communication and, and resources available uh, for, for us to be able to contact and understand what we needed to do or what the next best step was 
that's encouraging certainly and uh Thinking about sort of the uh, the last eighteen months now, by and large, um, even though it has been quite a sort of tragic and quite traumatic time for many, mm. would you say that there are any sort of major lessons that have come out of this that can be taken forward? Yeah, I think one of the interesting things was um, slowing down because I felt like you know two thousand nineteen uh, things were getting a lot faster. Um, you know, the world was was going was spinning a lot faster in the sense of information. Um, policy and just keeping on top of everything, all the changes. And then when when the lockdown came in, as much as it was a scary time, there was a, set, a, a sort of serene sense of, of slowing down and bringing the focus back within the home. And you know, we took that time um, to really, I suppose, deal with things that we hadn't been dealing with because we've been so busy keeping up with other things. Um, and just clearing out, you know, old files and and, um, and and taking care of like admin that had hadn't been dealt with for a long time, and just making sure that the place was as as good as can as good as can be. And um, thinking about obviously what has happened to the care industry over the uh, the last couple of years as well, uh, it seems that it's going to be all change moving forward into the future. The government has announced its social care reforms as the new sort of 1.25% rise in national insurance, the new health and social care levy. There's going to be that social care cap that's really in the headlines at the moment just because of the uh, the fine print. Um, so what is the immediate sort of future of the care sector sort of looking like for you? Do you think that this is the turning point now? Well, there's obviously a lot of change, and um, you know, I've, I've, it's, a, it's a difficult time as well. Again, because of the, the health mandates and um, you know, people's sovereign choice to whether they want to be vaccinated or not, and and so I mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, care workers who are now being redeployed, or they are reskilling for for, for different uh, work, and we're already as a as an industry, we're already struggling with uh, numbers of staff and it's not an easy job and and so it kind of makes things a lot more difficult uh, however i would also say like change is inevitable and and one's ability to adapt and to to, to new circumstances is as important now as as, as it has been um, ever before uh, thankfully for for me um, what i've seen has been a great benefit to us is that we're not a huge organization and so it allows us to be more nimble uh, in these times and, and adaptive and which means better care for our service users as well as opposed to a larger care setting where you know these sort of changes cause a massive influx or out, or outflow of um, staff members that is a lot harder to manage and a lot harder to recruit new members for us we can stay on top of it as long as we're being proactive. Mm. Yeah, it's a very contentious issue, isn't it? The no sort of jab, no job policy. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously not going to sort of ask your personal views on the uh, the policy itself. But what is obvious coming from that is that it's exacerbated the uh, the recruitment shortfall within the care sector. And that is something that the industry is going to have to grapple with moving forward. Um, and interestingly um, as well, I think a key part of winning that battle and getting that sort of talent pool into the industry it's going to be very much about sort of changing perceptions of care isn't it um obviously of course increasing salaries is one big thing that's on a lot of mps lips for instance um but another thing as well is cashing in on the goodwill that i think the healthcare industry the health and social care industry at large has drummed up during the pandemic because there's been so much support for nhs workers mm-hmm. for social care workers and i think trying to cash in on that 
to encourage more people to come and work in social care, that's going to form part of the next step, isn't it? Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me, I mean, like you said, I've been involved in, in the care sector for a, a very long time. And the one thing I've noticed, which is uh, like I, what I feel as my belief is very important, is that you know, carers are obviously caring. You know, and it's and it's it's one of those things that you can't um, you can't train someone to become caring. Uh, so the 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 importance is like really in in the care sector that you're always going to have people that actually are by their very nature very caring and and are, you know want to do this job for that reason. And it's not and so they're not really obviously money is important in terms of lifestyle and living and and um, yeah um, well, in, in entertainment and enjoyment of life. But what I find is is that there are people that really care, and 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 just so for them, you know, that's where that's where their heart lies. And so then it's not so much about um, how much they're being paid, which obviously, as I say, is, it is important. That that is a factor. But it's for them, there's a sense of fulfilment and meaning in purpose in their job, being able to take care and to give back to, to another person, which is. In a way, it's separate to the business of care. It's just mm. an, an innate way of being. It is, isn't it? And I think it's important as well to do away with the idea that working in care, it's, it's an unskilled industry because it's not. I mean, you do need very specific people skills to mm. work in social care. That's also important to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually it's phenomenal, really, when you consider um, similar jobs of, of Similar pay, if not more pay, uh, as I'm sure you're probably aware that um, there was talk of Amazon uh, offering uh, higher rates of pay and, and um, welcoming bonuses for for anyone, not just carers, but but um, you know, in terms of similar job, uh, um, in terms of pay, but for a carer, there's uh, every every uh, year they have to engage with uh, the mandatory training. They have to be up to a certain level of um, of education with, with care and social care and understanding, you need to stay on top of uh, all the policies and um, and being aware of equalities and uh, respect and dignity for others. And and so it's, there's a lot more to it than you know than than say a job where perhaps you're you know working in a shop or, or picking uh, picking stock. Um, you're you're actually having to really understand. Of what these different things mean in terms of taking care of, of someone and respecting their rights and ensuring that you're doing it in the right way, ensuring that you you're staying on top of the knowledge that that you've learned around safeguarding, around health and safety, around first aid. It's a lot of information, uh, and and also is also that's why it makes recruitment difficult because someone has to actually want to 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 learn all these things in order to do the job. So it's not, you know, you can't just get someone walking in off the street to do this job. It's a a long recruitment process. There is, and it's a journey, isn't it, that you then go on with that person once you get the right candidate through the door exactly right. Mm. And um, as you sort of get to grips um, with this um, within your own business, of course, um, I recognise the fact that being a smaller provider, you've got that agility, which is so, so invaluable. Um, What are you sort of hoping... Um, for the next sort of 12 months for you and your business Ahmad and where would you like to be by this time in uh, 2020 do you, just before we wrap things up yeah for me uh, for me now you know definitely looking at how we can uh, expand our operation but while still remaining nimble um, in in that way that we've managed to 
to do so because that's um, what I've seen is obviously it's uh, it's beneficial for the um, service users uh, that we care for in terms of uh, there's less footfall, there's less, um, we've had, thankfully, we've had less challenges with the pandemic, I think, because of our smaller size. Um, we, we were able to react a lot faster uh, to things and um, in terms of uh, the care home and, and, and setting to separate things out. So I think for me now, moving forward, it will be to really systemize how we've been doing that, uh, turn this into a model that we can then expand on uh, moving forward. Mm, certainly seems like exciting times implementing those plans and wish you all the luck in the world making that a reality Ahmad and as we start to sort of see the next year or so unfold I'd love to actually catch up with you on the program and just see how some of that is really coming to fruition yeah absolutely I'd love to yeah, it'd be a real pleasure welcoming you back because it is important times for the uh, the care industry and it's going to be interesting to see just sort of how um, the, the new sort of levy on social care um, through national insurance is going to change the industry, if at all, and what difference that's going to make. Um, thank you, of course, for joining us on the uh, the programme today. In the meantime, however, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you with us and it's always good to just get a little bit of a bird's eye view as to exactly what's going on in your corner of social care and in the context of what we do here at the Leaders' Council. It's incredibly important getting those perspectives out there so thank you very very much for that oh it's been an absolute pleasure Scott thanks so much it was a pleasure welcoming Ahmad Juma from Juma Care onto the programme today. And for our regular listeners, if you feel you may have your own story of success and of innovation to share with us, then by all means, you also can apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, please do take care and goodbye.